1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> does my hair look okay? It's my name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Judy Camuso is the commissioner for Maine's Wildlife Fisheries Department. Yes, she is the boss. She is the one in charge of Maine's wildlife resources. Did you know that she is one of three women that are in charge of a state's wildlife resources in the United States? You could almost call it a significant minority. And so I wanted to talk to Judy because, number one, she's awesome. Number two, she likes to run in Maine winters at minus nine degrees. And number three... She was a vegetarian that didn't hunt, that worked her way up the agency. And as the director of wildlife, which is under the commissioner, only then started to hunt. So her perspective on what managing wildlife means is completely invaluable to the state of Maine. It's a quick, hard-hitting 37-minute discussion that you'll absolutely enjoy. Okay, listen, this is why South Africans are not built for the cold. Right. <laughs> As I said, it's freaking cold in Mississippi and it's 41 yeah. degrees. You would, why'd you even, you said you were running at minus nine? I, I, I run most mornings, so you just okay. gotta start. You gotta, I've got habits like what I do. You, Judy, there's things called treadmills that go inside <laughs> houses. I can't, I can't run on a treadmill. It's so boring. It's too boring. Yeah. 
yet you'd freeze your eyelashes off like I just saw the picture of. Like they, you literally could flick them and they would break. Wow. <laughs> that is sort of ironic, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, everyone knows already that you're in Maine and typically I do a terrible job of introducing people because we just dive into topics. Yeah. But let me introduce you, um, Judy. Um, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. I am always humbled when we get to speak to commissioners. Oh, and I feel like we get to speak to commissioners because I think we have just a different podcast and we have an open sort of forum and we're not a, 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 we don't attack anybody. We are just almost just looking for a discussion and people's thoughts and viewpoints and perspectives. And we've talked to the Arizona commissioners. We've talked to uh, Commission Arkansas mm -hmm. uh, that you met. I believe you met at NASC, Marianne Doremus. Yeah. Um, I got Mark Williams teed up out of Georgia, a commissioner out of Georgia, and now a second female commissioner, Judy. Well, Judy, yeah. do you want to introduce yourself for us? Sure. I'm Judy Camuso, and I am the commissioner of Maine Fish and Wildlife. How many commissioners are there in Maine? Just me. Well, so no, I'm so I'm the commissioner of Fish and Wildlife. I run the agency. Um, so there's there uh, there's only one commissioner per agency. So okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so I'm, and, I'm a member of the governor's cabinet. So there's a commissioner of like DEP, Department of Environmental Protection, Agriculture, Conservation, and Forestry, Finance. So each kind of agency has their own commissioner. But yeah, it's just it's just me for Fish and Wildlife. So uh, let me just so that people understand, and maybe for my edification as well. Under you, do you have an executive director that runs the agency, or you are essentially the person who runs the agency? Right. Yeah. No, I run the agency. Yeah. It's, it's just me. Uh, I have an advisory council that helps with our, our laws and rules or our, our rules. Um, but no, I'm, you know, I oversee uh, fisheries, wildlife, warden service. We have a licensing division, information and education division, and an engineering division. So all, all those 300 or so folks work. I'm, you know, I've got a deputy commissioner and sure, sure, and sure, sure. Your, and stuff like that but yeah no and you're I, representing I, the the local ll bean on the shirt there i like that a lot <laughs> yes i was trying to find a shirt with a uh, logo but i, I couldn't find one that well, it's was a good thing well i don't know if you know this judy and this may be like mind shattering news to you but a podcast is an audio medium it's not a visual medium so people don't get to actually see what you wear said is it is it video or audio, and you said it's like a combination. So I, I, I put on lipstick. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a combination because we get to see each other and we have a conversation. Because oh, if it was yeah. black screens, you wouldn't really, I wouldn't yeah. have had the experience of you All right, with so your eyelashes. Right. <laughs> that is hysterical. It is hysterical. It is hysterical. Um, okay, well, how many maybe you know this, I don't, how many females are leading wildlife agencies in the United States? The, yeah, that's a good question. I was just thinking about this the other day. So it's uh, myself, Sarah Parker-Pauly, and um, there's another woman, Kendra. I think there's just three. Uh, there was one more in Rhode Island, but she retired. Um, yeah, so I think right now, Martha Williams was, uh, was a director in the states calls them a different thing, right? They're commissioners, sure, sure. secretaries, or directors. Yeah, 
directors, but Martha moved over to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So I think right now there's just three of us. And where is Sarah? Uh, Missouri. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. And that's what we wanted to talk about today, because that was one of the things that sort of piqued my interest when I heard you speak at NASC, is that we're talking 50 states, Mm. three female top wildlife resource uh, directors are female. Right. I know. It's a challenge. So, yeah. so what's the challenge, Judy? I mean, it's, it's a challenge on a lot of levels, um, Robbie. So some of it is just like, at least, I mean, on so, on so many levels, it's, you know, as a woman, it's a challenge to be one of only three women. So every place I go, there's almost always just men. It's just mm-hmm. me and all men. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, at first that was really intimidating for me. And I would go, I, I remember actually, even as wildlife director, I was uh, the only female wildlife director in the Northeast. And uh, my first meeting I went to, I didn't know the rules. Like, I didn't know how it works. So I went to the wildlife director's meeting. They're, they're called the chiefs. Um, and so I went to that and there's, they actually sit at a table, like in a circle. They, they sit in a circle and outside the circle, there are other chairs around the circle. And so I went and sat with a woman that I know, um, outside the circle. So I went mm. and, and I, I sat with her and, um, the next day I ran into this woman's D D Blanton and, uh, I ran into her husband who used to work at, at the agency with me. And he said, Hey, I saw, I, I, heard you went to the director's meeting yesterday. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And he goes, and I heard you sat outside the circle. And I'm like, what's that? Like, I did I sat with D. I mean, I, she was the only person I knew. And he's like, yeah, well, you're a director. You sit at the table. You sit in the circle. And I'm like, ah, okay. Wow. I'm like, Ken, I'm like, it's all men. It's all men. And he said, I know, I know. But you sit at that table and you use your voice. And I promise they'll listen. Mm-hmm. And that it took me a lot of courage to actually speak up. And, mm-hmm. you know, it took me probably a year before I was comfortable on occasion saying things. And and by the time, actually, I, I had been nominated to be president of that committee, and then I was appointed commissioner. So I never got to serve as, as president of the committee. But, um, you know, it was a, it was a good growth opportunity for me. But, you know, sure. it's a challenge. It's a challenge for me personally. It's a challenge because there's not enough women in the field. Um, it's, it's a challenge. You know, I was just at a retirement yesterday, a retirement party for a gentleman who's been working for us for, you know, 34 years or so. And at the at the party, there were, I, as I do with every event I go to, I counted. So there were 34 men and three women, myself, wow. myself and two other women. And that's... Pr- pretty much an entire division. So the whole division just has two women. And, you know, and, and we talked about like, what are, why, why don't more women go into these professions? No, and, exactly. Yeah. It's a real challenge. And, but some of it's the culture and people don't want to work in that culture. You know, you see it in um, hunting social media circles mm-hmm. in that it's, you know, a woman being in the field, woman being a hunter, she, she either, you know, she's there because she slept with some sales rep or she's there because she's shown a bunch of skin mm-hmm. or 
she can't hunt. You know, she's just being given a bunch of free stuff. Yeah. It's sad. It's really sad that you guys are in that box. And there's some beasts of women out there. Some real, like, yeah. Aaron Merrill that you know. You. Um, awesome. And SCI, um, Denise Welk, uh, Anna for Nostra and a big bird, upland bird hunter out of yeah. Georgia. People that are just like, we're doing this for the right reasons. We've got yeah. integrity. We've got values. And we're willing to say something yeah. at the end of the day. I remember once I was, this is back when, you know, so I started my career as a wildlife biologist and I was working for the state um, and I was in full uniform. So just keep in mind, like we have you know, this, this khaki shirt with these big patches on her shoulders with the name tag, with our title. You know, I have a, a gray, I mean, a green wool jacket, again, with the patches. I have a big pickup truck with a seal, department emblem, and I'm at a gas station in full uniform in my truck. And this, this I'm pumping gas, and the guy next to me says, your husband, a boyfriend, a game warden? I'm like, what? I'm like, well, you see, they let the spouses wear the uniforms, but no, they don't let us take the trucks. I'm like, no, I mean, give me a break. Like, what a ridiculous question. The assumption that I'm somebody's wife or that, that I'm driving a, a, a state truck in, in a state uniform, like, <laughs> because my boyfriend's a game warden, you know, it was so frustrating. But, you know, you're taught to be polite. So I just, I was polite and said, no, I'm a biologist for the area, you know. So there's, that stuff is, it is, those kind of comments are every day. And I mm -hmm. even even when I became commissioner, I was shocked that those kind of comments didn't, they, I assumed. And so most of the time you, and the more I talk to women about this, everybody sort of deals with the same thing. You just ignore it because you're so, the job is so awesome. That's the truth. Right. The job itself, the work is phenomenal. I just love it. Everybody loves it. So you put up with that stuff. And, and I put up with it and I thought someday, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna always bite my tongue. I'm not gonna always be polite, you know, and then, and, and I got to be commissioner and I never complained about it. I never said anything to anybody. It just was like, whatever. And I got to be commissioner. And then I was like, I can't believe it's not, it hasn't stopped. People are still making these ridiculous comments. And you know, I'm, I'm the commissioner and, you know, some of, it, some of it's minor and some of it's pretty shocking. You know, I, I was at a, a public event once as speaking as commissioner and speaking to this older man. And I said, well, thanks so much. To, nice to talk to you. I'm going to go sit, you know, with, with Mike. And the man patted his lap and said, you're welcome to sit here. I always like to have a pretty girl in my lap. Wow. This was just like two years ago. I was like, what? is this 1938? Like what, what world is this happening in? And I was like, I mean, you know, and so, and then it, it, eventually I had, you know, I sort of kept building and, um, I had one, um, I was in like a meeting and this, this guy who was just rude, but, um, we, we, I was listening to him and, and I, I was in the middle of talking and he turned his chair. He physically like rotated away from me to talk to the deputy commissioner. And I was like, does he not hear me? And so I kept talking and, and he turned and he actually initiated while I was talking to him, initiated a conversation with somebody else. So I stopped talking and he turned and looked at me and he said, I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. 
And for the first time, like the words that were in my head came out my mouth. And I said, I know you weren't. This meeting's over. And I shut my book and I said, I, I presume you can find your way out the door. And I said to the people with me, I said, Tim and Francis, I'll, I'll see you in my office, please. And the guy was like, you know, jaw like open. And the, my staff were like, oh my God, <laughs> that guy out. And I'm like, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be treated like that. You don't have to. Right, right. You don't deserve to be treated like that. You put in the work, you put in the effort, you put in all the time that any guy would have done to get to the position of commissioner. Probably more, honestly. I I, Honestly, yeah. Honestly, you you have to because you've had to jump over these stereotypes, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, I, I, I honestly cannot, I can't fathom what, what you go through, right? I can't fathom what women in the outdoors and women in hunting go through. Yeah. All that we can do is we can just, as a guy, as someone, you know, that looks right. into that lifestyle, it's, it's one, understand it, and two, um, you know, find the right women that are doing the right things and yeah. and really champion them and really just say, look, these are the kinds of women that you should be emulating. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, just like guys, women in the outdoors have bad apples. Oh, of course. Yeah, absolutely. You that, know, um, yeah, it, it's a, it's a challenge. And, you know, I, I think in what I try and focus on, Robbie, is like, okay, because the activities we manage are amazing. They are great opportunities. They're good for your mental health. They're good for your physical health. And they're good for your emotional health and, and for what you eat, right? So they're healthy for your body, healthy for your brain. They're healthy every way. So my goal is to try and encourage more women to participate in these activities and then try and make sure that at the same time, we are encouraging more women to try to work in these fields. And mm-hmm. I, I really believe that when more in, and, and it's, it's interesting to me. So I, I met with this group of women and one of the things they told me was one of the biggest challenges was they don't, see people that look like them in any of the marketing or advertising so that was a simple fix right that's a tough technical fix i can solve that pretty easily but it it resonated with me because when i left my first job as a regional biologist i moved to a position in augusta that had previously been held by a woman sandy and i had no idea what sandy did i did not actually know what that job was but she was a woman And I knew to myself, I thought to myself, well, Sandy can do that job. I like her. And Mm -hmm. if she can do it, I'm sure I could do it too. But so Mm -hmm. I could see myself in that position because there was another woman in that position. And so it made perfect sense. So there's technical solutions to some of these things and we can promote and elevate, you know, women more often. Um, And and then, you know, my, my hope is that as we have more women entering the workforce and then we'd be able to promote more women and have more women in the sort of supervisory roles that are actually guiding and and helping to change the culture. And, you know, one of the things we did during the pandemic, which I think was really helpful, was offer a fully online hunter ed course. And we got tons of feedback from women in particular saying this is a whole bunch of things, but so much better for them. One, for timing. Like, so a lot of, you know, women have kids and don't want to give up a whole weekend uh, with their family to take hunter ed. But the other one was that they don't want to go into a hunter ed class with all men. They're just not comfortable and that's not a good learning environment for them. So 
in one year, our the number of women who take Hunter Red went from like 12% a year to 39. So wow. switching of uh, offering a Hunter Red online, we, we jumped the number of people participating. Can you send me that statistic? We'll build an infographic just yeah, for you. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. And, you know, so there's sort of things like that that I think we can do and, and try and kind of break down what are the obstacles, you know? Um, I mean, there's yeah, still- because that's intimidating, right? A woman who wants to become a hunter goes to this public, you know, hunter ed class, and right. all it is is a bunch of bubbers around talking about hunting stories, right? Because that was what and that was what not, they have guns. You can handle guns too. So if you're not comfortable with guns, that's a really intimidating thing to do, you know. So it, it you know, it sort of takes a lot of courage to do that. So a lot of the ranges around here have actually started having like women's shooting clubs and. Um, women's day at the range. And um, so I try to go to those when, when I get invited to try and sort of talk to people about what are you, you know, what are your, like, what are the barriers? What are, what are the impediments to getting you out in the field? And what, what do we need to do to help you? So we also developed all these, uh, we call them next step classes, but basically YouTube videos where people can learn how to set a tree stand, how to set, how to turkey hunt, you know, so those how to videos that people can watch at home and, right and learn you're not going to learn everything from watching a video but it gives you some of the tools you need to help get bridge that gap so it's a big step to go from not hunting to hunting it's not like fishing where you can just cast a line and you know um it's it's a bigger it's a bigger leap so um I think it's a bigger level of entry barrier of entry for sure right. it is for sure yeah so in in your position you obviously think about like, what are these barriers to this lifestyle that we love so much, right? We just talked about women specifically. Yeah. What else do you see as sort of the thing that could, because, you know, Blood Origins, we fight every day to keep hunting around for my kids and my grandkids one day. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you're in the position that you, you, you live and breathe it every day, but very regionally mm-hmm. in Maine. What, what do you see of some of the challenges that are coming down the pipeline? Yeah, so I mean, I I think some of the challenges are there the the way people in this country think about wildlife and and hunting in particular is changing, and and we know this, and um, so we need to adjust to that, right? So prior before the pandemic, hunting was on a slow but steady decline nationally, like it was going down everywhere. Every state was seeing some the more rural states less less precipitous decline, but decline nonetheless, um, including here in Maine. And um, so we know, and, and so my, I always like query, like, why did that, what happened with that breakdown? Because that was, hunting has always been something where that was passed on from, really from father to son. So what, what, what was that break? Why did the dad stop passing it on to their sons? Like what happened? Mm-hmm. Eventually, most likely it's because there's so many other activities and, and they just can't compete, you know, with time or whatever for, soccer and all of my nieces and nephews did like three things every season you know so that there wasn't the space for that but you know now we're in a place where more people are participating but as we survey the public we know they're they're participating they're interested in at least people i would say 40 and under they're interested in sort of free range organic locally grown meat for yeah, the local movement essentially yeah. Absolutely. Farm to table style thought process. And so we know this. And but some, you know, the hunting community or some members of the hunting community haven't quite um, 
adapted to that. And there's still a lot. Judy, are you saying that we shouldn't be saying, well, that's just what we do. We hunt and we're not going to change. That's just what we do. Right. But the motivations to hunt are different for people. And and, and you can have whatever your motivation is. That's fine. I'm totally supportive of it. But you have to be accepting of other people's motivations, too. And, you know, I'll use myself as an example. And um, I didn't grow up hunting. I grew up right outside, 11 miles outside the city of Boston. Nobody in my family hunts. I never knew anybody that hunted until I went to college. And when I started working at the agency, you know, I was a non-game biologist. I studied birds and endangered species. And, and as I made my way through the agency, I became more and more interested in really, to, to be honest, I was, I've been a vegetarian for like 20 years and I stopped being able to digest soy. I know, right? So I couldn't, my stomach, I couldn't, just could not process any soy product, which is doesn't, you can't, I couldn't figure out how to live as a vegetarian. So I really wanted to be able to hunt so that I could have a protein source that I felt good about harvesting and eating it because I I do like protein. Um, And so I, you know, I started eating meat and I, I really wanted to learn how to hunt. And I worked with all biologists and game wardens and, you know, I, yeah. And I didn't have any, and I kept telling people, you know, I want to, I'd like, I'd love to learn. I like to go. Anybody, you ever want to go? Nobody would take me. Nobody Nobody in the agency would take you hunting. Well, nobody offered to. And I think people thought like, she's not serious or, you know, I get it. Your time is precious. You don't want to like give up your secret squirrel hunting spots. You, you know, and truthfully, I talk a lot. So people were like, she's so dead. She's going to be loud. She's going to destroy our hunting experience. Right. So, you know, <laughs> eventually I said it at a meeting in, in, in a public setting. And one of the participants in George Smith, who um, he's deceased now, but he used to be the executive director for the Sportsman's Alliance to me. And he said, I'll take you hunting. And I was like, oh God, why did I say that? Because I didn't really want to go hunting with George, but I went and I had absolutely like the best experience of my life. It was not at all what I thought it was going to be. I, it was the most restorative day I've ever had. I would tell all my friends, like you guys, this is like, yoga or meditation for men like this is what they go out they don't talk it's quiet it's peaceful it's beautiful you observe wildlife and i've always been like go 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 even i'm pretty avid birder when i'm birding i'm like how many how many keep track of the list keep track of the species how many per week per year on my run i keep track of the birds i hear right so always moving and so to go out to be given this like freedom to go out and sit and be quiet Mm-hmm. No phone. I mean, it was it was like transformative for me. I loved it, and so after that, I started hunting quite a bit more. But you know, I I tell my staff like, look, it was hard for me to get involved in this sport, and if it's hard for me as the director of wildlife, how hard is it for people that don't have you know a well, hundred right. work with? It's impossible. And then even once you be, I became a hunter, right? I was like not a trophy hunter. So I wasn't as good. I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I started off just hunting turkey and then, you know, deer and I wasn't a big game hunter. And I, I was like, always felt like I'm not good enough. My God, no matter what mm-hmm. I do, I'm not mm-hmm. doing enough. I can't like, I'm not as good as the people who are hiking 17 miles with their bow and arrow. And, you know, it was constantly sort of off-putting. I get super competitive and like way too much, testosterone for what I was interested in, but I always right. felt not welcome. 
And that culture has to change. Like that, yep. you're not good enough. You're an outsider. You don't belong here. That culture has to change mm-hmm. if we want our passions in our our sort of outdoor the things we like to do. If we want them to stay. Those those attitudes have to change. Yeah. No. We um two stories that that just pinged into my brain as you were talking. One, we released an episode by a guy called Travis Turner. He's, his name is T-Bone Turner. He's a big guy out of Georgia. He's a big bow hunter. And his episode was called Celebrate. And it was it was that guy who shoots a button buck in his backyard. And that's the only time he gets to hunt every year. We need to celebrate that guy. We need yeah. to celebrate. Yeah. You know, if, even if he shot it over a cornfield and it's legal to bait. Yep. Celebrate right. the guy. Yeah. Don't belittle people wow. about this thing that is this this thing that we love so much that has become super, super, super competitive. Yeah. Um, for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other story is: Have you heard of a lady, a girl called Candace Sable? Oh, she's I in Maine. Yeah. You love Candace. Love Candace. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, awesome. she's in the intro of the podcast. She's a feminist that for twenty years hasn't eaten anything but wild game. <laughs> she's. Um, do you follow her? Because she is like the best cook ever. Oh, she, I met her in Bear Camp, and she cooked for yeah. us all week in Bear Camp. Oh. I bought fiddleheads from her, and yeah. she sent them down to me. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, she also. I mean, she Candace does a lot of really amazing things too. She works with like pretty challenging yes. situations. So she she's an amazing woman. Yeah, she's, You've she's, got some she's very amazing. strong women in Maine. You, Erin, yeah. Candace. Yeah, um, she's great. You need to, one of the things that I'm going to make sure that, that happens post this podcast is SCI, Safari Club International. Yeah. In 2023, the theme is SCI celebrates women in hunting. Oh, really? Oh, that's yep. awesome. And I, I know the people coordinating it. And so, so we need so to make sure you're involved. We need to make sure yeah. Anne-Marie Doremus is involved. Yeah. I think that would yeah. be perfect. Perfect, perfect, yeah. perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I'm, you know, I, 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 I can't really apologize. Um, well, no, I can. I can apologize. I can apologize for, for people's actions. Um, you know, we try to ensure that we are diverse in who we represent and, and who and who we show through our social media platforms in terms of strong women and women in the industry. Um, I know I do a terrible job of keeping it 50-50, I'll admit. Um, right. So well, there's, not, there's a lot more men than there are women. It's hard. Yeah, yeah there is, unfortunately. Um, right. But we'll, we will continue to strive. And Judy, you know, you're an example of someone that um, – we certainly need to strive towards. And the other thing I want to say is I couldn't think of someone that is from a background of vegetarianism. Right. To the commissioner of wildlife resources in the state of Maine, you have a way you naturally can relate. Yeah. That, and even, and again, you weren't a hunter when you joined the agency. Oh no. Um, have you had those kinds of conversations with people that, because obviously you have your own anti-hunting brigade that stomps around Maine? Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, you know, it's surprising. So we had a, actually a, um, I'm, I'm sure you're aware, we had a referendum in 2014, uh, 2013, 14, uh, to try and eliminate our, our most effective tools for hunting bear. Um, and the woman that was 
the head of the Humane Society for Maine at the time. Um, so, and I was, I was, I was wildlife director at the time. So I was sort of the spokesperson for the agency and sure. did a lot of the debates and all the, a lot of the public media and interviews, all that sort of stuff. Um, and the woman who was a head, head for the Humane Society, um, Katie Hansbury, actually when the referendum was over and, and sort of the, you know, our, our side prevailed, um, we've actually worked really hard to bring Katie in. And she serves on a lot of our steering committees or in a lot of our kind of work groups. And, you know, I just like it, we need to hear their side. Mm -hmm. We need Mm -hmm. to listen and she's professional and respectful and as are we. And I think we've made so much progress in kind of bridging in, in finding the common, the commonality, like they really care about animals And, and they maybe have a different approach to how that works, but we really care too. And actually, we I think we care the most. <laughs> but, you know, we both really care. And so we try and use that to, to foster a better relationship moving forward. Um, there's always going to be people that, that don't support the way we manage or they don't support hunting in general. And you know what? I, I understand, like, and until I did it or, you know, I always really supported eating wild game because I... My when I was a vegetarian, my my challenge was really with sort of factory farmed animals and the way mm-hmm. they were treated, and you know never never being able to whatever. I had a whole bunch of issues with it, but um, but I always supported um, eating wild game because I you know had a very different or thought process as to how they live their lives, and so um, yeah, I can relate to people who choose not to eat meat or red leather. Um, and have, or have never hunted before, but want to get into it or are interested in sourcing all their own food. Like I have a big garden, you know, I try, I hard harvest wild, you know, leeks and foods. And so, uh, you know, I, I can sort of see those from a lot of different angles. Um, I also like to hunt and I, I really love animals. And you probably noticed like my dog and cat roaming around in the background, but we also have a couple hunting dogs and we hunt upland game and that's probably for me my most favorite is to hunt birds with the dogs because right. like this bond with the dogs and like there's just nothing better than sort of seeing the dogs working and coming back and checking in with you and you know getting on point i mean this is like the best day ever when we have a good dog so that's no that's a lot of people <laughs> no and, and and honestly you you know when you talk about the INTs, the vegans versus hunters, as you're, you're, we're essentially all back to back. We're back to back when it comes to this thing that the purpose of, of what drives us. We want healthy wildlife. We want sustainable wildlife. We want wildlife around for future generations. Right. It's the same goal. We just happen to get there. Yeah. Different in different ways. fashions, in yeah. different ways. Yeah. And truthfully, Robbie, you know, my goal as commissioner is like, I say, I don't care if you want to, you know, check things, make a checklist. If you want to look through your camera, through your binoculars, through your scope, through your rifle, I just want you outside engaging with wildlife. And as long as I have people, as we have people outside and caring and passionate about wildlife, because I think people care about they protect what they care about so the more people that care about deer bear moose turkey birds you know 
Eastern Cottontail and the New England Cottontail, the more people that care about all those things, the better for all of us. Like that's my goal. And and I totally, if people don't want to hunt, that's their choice. I, I like to, I think they should. I think they would love it. I think most people have a, most people that don't hunt have this picture of what it's like that is so far from reality. And I think if they just tried it, um, they probably would really love it. Mm-hmm. Let's finish off this because I did a bunch of interviewing last week, specifically tied to this idea of women in hunting in 2023 for SEI. Yeah. And I asked this question of a lot of women, and I'll ask the same question of you. Mm-hmm. If you're speaking to a young woman in her early 20s, she wants to become a hunter, but she has a little trepidation because yeah. she doesn't want to get bullied and she wants to wear makeup in the field. But what are people going to say about you know the fact that she's hunting in makeup? Um, yeah. No, right. social media is a, is a very, um, you know, it's a it's an intimidating space for mm-hmm. someone who, as you just said, you know, wants to get into hunting as a young woman. What would you say to that young woman? So a couple things. One, in in this, you know, I so I belong to this group, women in wildlife is a is a group of women that are all, you know, professional biologists. And I was surprised. I am constantly surprised at how often this comes up in what to wear. What can we wear? What are we allowed to wear? And so if you're not doing field work, what's the appropriate attire for a woman? And most of us have been told, don't look too nice. Don't wear makeup. People won't take you seriously. Don't wear skirts. Um, Look plain. Don't, you know, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Wear whatever you want to wear. Be who you are. I don't care if you if you want to wear. Make, I I always do my nails. If you want to have painted nails, so whenever I when I started at the Fish and Wildlife and I had to wear what I call the man suit because it was men's clothing that I had to wear. Um, you know, I would always have a pink scarf. I always wore a bright pink scarf to remind people, like I'm a girl. Like I am. I'm in this job and I'm wearing this man suit, but I am still feminine. I'm still a woman. Um, and so, you know, my guidance to people is be who you are, dress however you want. And as long as you're comfortable and the gear works, that's great. I would love it if there were more gear for women, but we're working on that. Um, and then I would say, you know, as far as, you know, I think the best thing you could really do is find someone that you're comfortable with and, and go out with them. And there are lots of, there are lots of states now starting mentor programs and, people who will take you out in the field and get some practice, get some experience. And, you know, the other thing is there's a lot of women that are just a little bit nervous about being outside and encountering a man Mm. alone with a gun, knowing Mm -hmm. that. And that's a, that's a, I think that is a legitimate hurdle. I don't, um, I don't know that it's any different for men, but um, you know, I've, there's been times when I've been alone and I'm like, Oh my God, like, I don't know who that guy is. Who is this guy? You know, and it's been fine. And, and you know, I, I've never met a hunter that, you know, intentionally intimidated in the field. And, but, you know, those, you got to be, you got to pay attention to that. And I think that's maybe an obstacle for women that we have to work together to try and solve. Um, but I think the, for somebody just starting, I think, you know, find a partner or find someone, a mentor, someone that you can go out with. And honestly, I think like stay local in some place you're comfortable in. So someplace you 
you're comfortable getting yourself to and getting it so that if you harvest an animal, you take a deer or you can like figure out how to get it out, right? If you're by yourself. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of steps to like, there's one thing to go out and sit in a stand or sit next to a tree, but then when you actually shoot something, you got to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, start, I would say small and or locally someplace you're familiar with and, and go from there. Amazing. Amazing. Well, Judy, uh, again, a, a mutual friend of ours, Aaron, could not speak more highly of you. Um, I'm a huge fan of yours after hearing you speak at NASC and obviously these last 37 minutes speaking to you. Um, I'm a huge fan. And I think a lot of people should be huge fans of yours. And um, yeah, I'm I'm excited for the future of Maine's wildlife resources because you've got someone who's passionate at the helm that that knows exactly, you know, why she's there. So thank you. Thank you, Robbie. Thanks for taking the time to interview me. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.